Good afternoon. If um, you have your Bible with you, or there's some at your table, I'm going to look at Psalm chapter 23. That's where the lesson is going to come from today. So if you'd like to turn there, you can, or you can just listen. And I want to, I'm really only going to look at one passage mainly, but I want to read the whole psalm. One, just because I like it. I think it's a really beautiful psalm. And two, just to get a picture of what we're dealing with, just get the whole context here. All right. Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The passage I want to focus in on is, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I want to kind of zero in on that. And I want to frame the lesson, if you will, around three questions. Firstly, I want to ask, what's going on with this for his namesake? What does that mean, and what bearing does that have on the rest of the verse? He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. What's that about? And then I want to ask, what is this righteousness? Or what are these paths of righteousness in which you know, he leads David and, by extension, us? What are these paths of righteousness? And then lastly, how does he, how does he lead us? He does it, and, and how does that, what does that look like? And I, So start with the first question, what's up with the for his namesake? And I want to begin with the, really a confession, honestly. Um, I think for a long time, and I, I still do, now, I struggle with this, understanding, I've understood righteousness uh, very narrowly. It's been, you know, I'm, I'm righteous or pursuing holiness or growing and doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord, whatever you want to call it. I've understood that to be, you know, as long as I'm, I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying and I'm in Bible studies and I'm, I'm making sure I'm fighting with lust and making sure I'm trying to be patient when someone cuts me off on the road. Or It's very narrow, though. It's very centered to myself. It's kind of like a, a personal piety. Almost, it doesn't. It's not very far-reaching, and I think, at least from my experiences, a lot of Christians and a lot of the church in general may have some of those, you know, um, sentiments as well. And that's, and I guess, some of that's understandable. We live in America, and the West and America in particular has been influenced by the philosophy of individualism. I mean, that's kind of deep-rooted, and some of the residue of that has. It's affected the church somewhat. And so a lot of times we can understand our righteousness so narrowly and so individualistically. And if you don't have that struggle, then I hope you find this message as an encouragement to keep doing what you're doing. But one way that I see out of this problem, this narrowly interpreted righteousness that we live, this personal piety, is one, looking at the goal of the righteousness. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake, we're going somewhere with this righteousness. It's supposed to land on something. Namely, God's name being shown as worthy and supreme and preeminent above all things. God is about his namesake. 
That's where we're going. That's the telos, if you will. That's the purpose of this. And so if, I, if I'm looking at that, and this is something I've it's kind of been really an encouragement and very enlightening as I've seen the scriptures, that God's plan throughout all history is really to triumph over everything, finally. He wants to triumph over sin and death, triumph over darkness, triumph over brokenness in all areas through Christ. And there's, I mean, there's different language you can use. Some people say he wants to be victorious over all things. Some people say God aims to be glorified in all things. However you want, I like to use the word triumph just because it, it gives a good picture of God as a king, and he's bringing him his kingdom forth, and his kingdom will triumph over all things. So I like to, I like to use that word. But in the end, that's where we're going. Uh, there's one theologian who says it this way, that God means to set the world to rights. All the evil, sin, hatred, darkness, sadness, sickness, brokenness, all that which we would consider wrong and the Bible would consider wrong, God wants to right that so that in doing that through Christ, his name would be shown as worthy and valuable and supreme. And so if, if that's the case then, if that's the goal, if that's where we're going, righteousness then and our being led in the paths of righteousness has to be understood as more far-reaching extending beyond ourselves it can't be this personal piety that's not at least from my reading isn't going to be the most effective thing for god's namesake the showing forth of his name to the wider wider world and tom actually he showed me this this morning uh i thought this was a a good little quote actually let me hold off on that i'll hold off on that let me just kind of make the point here that righteousness is going to have to be construed less narrowly. And so that gets to the second point then. Well, what is this righteousness, or what are these paths of righteousness? If it's more, and don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't ever want to mean that being in Bible studies and praying and reading the Word and making sure, you know, your, your personal sanctification, that is for sure. Righteousness doesn't tell that. Doubtless. That is doubtless true. For sure. But it has to be more than that, more far-reaching. And so then we get to, if that's going to be the goal, by the way, for the namesake of God. So he leads me in the paths of righteousness. So that's the next question. What is this righteousness? Or what are these paths of righteousness? And honestly, what I'm seeing here, especially this is David talking, and David was was a king. And for a king, invariably when you read the history of of the kings, first and second kings, first and second chronicles, they're almost always introduced one of two ways. They either did right in the eyes of the Lord and therefore led Israel in righteousness, or they were wicked before the eyes of the Lord and they caused Israel to be wicked as well. Um, so in that, in that sense, whether you were righteous or whether you were wicked, that had an impact on a whole nation, on a whole kingdom. It wasn't just about the king's righteousness. It wasn't about his personal piety. It had an effect on the nation and, by extension, on the nations around them. Because when Israel was righteous, the nations around them could see the, God, the glory of God shine through that. So it's far-reaching. So I think what that means for us, then, is our righteousness has to be a very concrete thing that extends out towards other people, looking like love towards other people in a very non-ambiguous way but a concrete way. Like, I'll give you the shirt off my back kind of way. I like serving those who are hungry, justice to the poor. Things like that are huge, I think. And there is, and this is where I want to get to what Tom showed me this morning. He was reading a, um, 
I guess it was a Christianity Today, I believe is what it was. And the stepson of C.S. Lewis was talking about his stepfather. And I guess he called him Jack. Um, I don't I, I don't have to know a lot of history about C.S. Lewis. I don't know where Jack would come from. But in any event, he called him Jack. And he said about C.S. Lewis, his stepfather, that he was just one of the greatest Christians he knew. Because he said that C.S. Lewis's message was this. Uh, he said, stop talking about it. We're talking about Christianity. Stop talking about it. Stop studying it. Just get out there and do Christianity. Live it. Act Christianity among, you know, we're in your work, your home, your communities, your neighborhoods, your cities. Act it out. Let your righteousness show forth in a wider context. Let it extend beyond yourself personally. Um, and again, I don't think, surely C.S. Lewis, um, the academic that he was, did not mean stop reading the Bible, stop studying it, and stop talking about it. The force of this quote, though, and this message is that needs to be going somewhere. It needs to land on somebody, and it's to land on your communities and land on your cities. And one more thing uh, I'll read just to kind of stress this is, this is what the prophets spoke of. The prophets spoke about this all the time with Israel in particular. They, would, they had this kind of personal piety. They, they read, and they sang songs, and they knew the law, and they quoted it. Um, and then their prophets would say things like this. This is from Isaiah chapter 58. Is not this the fast that I, the Lord God, choose for you? This is the fast I choose for you. Loose the bonds of wickedness. Undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is, not, is it not to share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked, to cover them, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? You're your own. They are your own. <clears throat> Then you shall then shall your light break forth like dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily, and your righteousness shall go forth, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So that's kind of what I'm wanting to impress upon you with this idea of righteousness. When God is leading us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake, so that his name would be shown worthy, then our righteousness has to be very done, very acted, and very lived outside of our narrow context. And again, if that's where we're headed and that's what you're, you're striving for, then I hope this is an encouragement to you to see that this is where the scriptures are indeed pointing you, to, to live that way and go that way. And then this gets to the, the last question, well, how are we led? And this, I mean, this is what David asserts. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. That is, for me, that's, that's kind of key. Obviously, we can't get out there and be righteous on our own. We can't do righteousness of our own accord. We definitely don't have the abilities, energies, efforts, gift setting to make God's name shown on our own. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. I think there's two components to his leading us. One, he sets the groundwork for our leading us in Christ. There would be no paths of righteousness if there was no Christ who secured righteousness for all who would believe in him. And that's, that's really just the gospel. We can be led in righteousness because, one, Christ has accomplished that. He has, one, taken the sins of everyone who would believe in him. He's taken them upon himself. They've been put on him. He was punished for our sins, and he resurrected from the grave, showing that he actually did pay for them. 
He didn't die for his own sin. He actually paid for our sins. He triumphed over that. On the other side of that, his righteousness is credited to us. That's on our record now. So that we can even have the ability to live right. There will be no paths of righteousness if there was not first gospel in Jesus Christ. And that's first and preeminent. So there will be no leading if that's not there. The other side of that is he leads us in the paths of righteousness with his spirit. He's left us with his spirit indwelling so that we can even do it. Again, we can't, we always have to be relying on the power of Christ, the power of the spirit of Christ and the power of God. After all, he says that he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. This is God's business. God is in the business of, I'm taking this from uh, a guy that I listen to a lot, but frankly, God is in the business of making much of his name, making his name famous. And that's, that theme is, I think, very evident throughout the scriptures. So evident that when the new heavens and new earth come, what are we doing but making much of the name of the Lord? Uh, it talks about in Revelation, the visions that John saw. He saw myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of people and angels worshiping God. So that's the, I think that's the, the overarching theme of everything. So if God is, this is for his namesake, we can count on the fact that He's going to make it happen by his leading. He's not going to leave us to our own with this. And that's important for, I know personally for me, and I hope it is for you, because when I read the Bible and I see that I'm supposed to be just and and loving and right and that my righteousness is supposed to affect a wider context, that's overwhelming. That's daunting to me because I know that I can't do that on my own, and I fail all the time. I fail all the time. I'm, I'm sure you all would admit that you do also. But he leads you in the paths of righteousness. Always be relying on that, relying on his gospel, and relying on his spirit to do it in you and through you for his name's sake. So I pray that in the end, if we can sum it all up, God leads us in the paths of righteousness. What are those paths of righteousness? Things that extend beyond ourselves. Not only a personal piety, but let our Bible reading and our studying and our prayer and our fellowship and our communion and our listening to the word preached on Sundays, let that impact our communities, Macon in particular, where we are. Um, and that in a very real and concrete way. And I'm, people talk about this all the time, about making sure Macon is impacted. But doing it, actually, doing it. And we always need people to say, do it, because we'll get comfortable in a hurry. We've got to do it. And why? For his namesake. And by the way, I left this out, but I think this is very important because some people would probably say, you know, I don't, I don't find doing things for God's namesake too appealing. I don't know, you know, where am I in all that? What's my benefit in all that? And when you, you read, I, I really like to look at the Old Testament because they have all these really good illustrations and pictures when God's name is being shown as worthy and valuable and supreme above all things, Israel found their life and their restoration and their peace and their joy in that. You look at um, people like Ezra and Nehemiah and the kings who, who did what's right in the eyes of the Lord, making sure the, the temple practices were right, making sure they tore down the altars from the Baals, making sure they were worshiping God. Israel prospered in that. In God's namesake, we prosper. We have life. We have peace. We have joy. So this is a good thing for us to be doing. And knowing that he leads us in that, you know, that's where we are. That's where we are. And that's a good thing. So let's, let me pray for us 
um, and pray that, one, we would rely on God's leading. Uh, two, that our paths of righteousness would, to be sure, yes, be reading and prayer, but even more so, justice, love, humility, service, in a very concrete kind of way. And then finally, that our perspective is always for God's namesake. That his name would be shown as worthy and valuable and supreme and preeminent above all things. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, you lead us in the paths of righteousness. We're not left to do this thing on our own. Um, I pray that you would give us right perspectives, Lord, when it, when it gets hard in, in living such righteousness out, that we can know that our life and our peace and our joy and our goodness is found in that. Um, because, Lord, when you triumph, when, you're on, when we're on your side, we triumph in that as well. Our victory is in that as well. So God, I pray that we go forth from this day having been impressed not by what I said, but impressed by your word, that it would rest on our hearts and our minds, um, and that we would transform the city in a real way, God. I pray this not, this, this is not, I don't want these to be just words or a prayer because it sounds good to say, let it transform, make it. But I pray that you would actually do it in us, that you would lead us in paths of righteousness so that people when they see Macon and think about Macon, your namesake will be lifted. Brother, in Jesus' name, amen.